this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in today. I know it's been a while since we've uh, last had a new study, and uh, due to illness, mostly on my part, and just forgetfulness, really, in all in all honesty, and uh, appreciate your patience with that. We're going to continue in Romans chapter 7 today. Uh, I just want to briefly say thank you for, uh, again, listening, and also just make it known that this will be the next to last of our broadcast, so this week and next week will be the the last broadcast that uh, we're going to be doing here. But uh, these programs are going to be available on our website at leonvalleychurch.org. And I can always email you a particular copy if, if you'd like. And you can contact me via our email, leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to continue this this radio program uh, as, as a podcast in the future. And if you'd like more information about that, again, feel free to Shoot us an email, leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. You can find other contact information there on our website as well. And also uh, these some of these programs. I've put select programs on the, the website, uh, but you can also find a link to um, others as well. And so uh, I just wanted to make that announcement and again say thank you for uh, tuning in the past uh, couple of years or so that we've been doing this program. Uh, I wish I... If, you know, to our regular listeners, I wish I had gotten to meet you and, and know you better. Uh, and I guess that's still possible if you ever want to sit down and study. You know, my door is always open. My invitation stands, uh, you know, using that contact information. That's how you can get a hold of me personally. And uh, would love to study the Bible with you if that is your uh, desire. So we're in Romans chapter 7 today. We're just continuing our, our series and going through the book of Romans and uh, we are in the, the latter part of this, this chapter. So I'm going to read uh, quite a bit of text here towards the end of, of Romans chapter 7. And then we'll have some discussion about it. So Romans 7 and verse 14 says that the law, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. I am practicing what I would, um, I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. There's a whole lot of teaching points to take from that uh, pericope or that, per, that section of Romans chapter 7. And I want to think about a few of those with you today. 
Now, Thomas Edison was famous for a lot of things, um, but uh, he had an interesting quote that I think applies to our passage today. He said, show me a thoroughly satisfied man and I will show you a failure. Uh, I don't know when he said that, but uh, that quote is accredited to him. And I think it's painfully true. It's dreadfully true in spiritual matters. Of course, Edison was speaking of, uh, and, you know, as as an inventor and pressing forward and and never being satisfied with one's work, but just to continue uh, improving, continue new you know new ideas and and exercising the mind, etc. But I think that the principle he lays down there is certainly applicable in spiritual matters also, and I think that's what we find here in Romans chapter seven among other places, that Paul knew and, and readily acknowledges and freely acknowledges that he he's coming up short in his obedience to Christ, as we all do. But the point is that he's making is that he would never be satisfied with coming up short. You know, the way that he put it in Philippians 3 and verse 12, beginning was that he would forget what laid behind and strain forward to what lay ahead while he was pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. And so he knew that he was wretched, as we just saw there at the end of chapter 7. He knew that Christ would be the only one in his sacrifice, uh, would be the only thing that could save him so long as he strove to be faithful. And in Romans chapter 7 and in chapter 8, Paul is explaining this further. He's not uh, looking to excuse his sin by acknowledging his inward struggle with it, uh, again, he's very candid about that. The, the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that I hate, that's the thing that I practice. He says what he wants to. He what he's what he's doing here, as he's saying, I agree with the law of God, and I want to serve the law of God. Um, he wants us to know what it means to wrestle with with the flesh, and what does that what does that look like? How we're going to overcome, even in spite of our failures, our you know what? How are we going to be saved? And it'll always be through the blood of Christ. At the end of the day whether we grow and improve and excel as we should do, uh, we still need the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins. We will always need that. Uh, and so he's he's talking, he's, he's hashing out all of these, I think, very deep um, fundamental principles, which are hard to get our heads around, but um, he's talking about what it means to wrestle with the flesh. Who's, who's to blame? Who's to blame when we fail? And clearly, I think we see Paul knows that he is to, to blame, and he wants us to know how we can overcome the flesh. And when he says flesh here in, in the text, he doesn't mean simply body. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we've talked about it in, in previous lessons. Uh, but he, what he's talking about is really unlawful fleshly desires and behavior. That's the sense in which Paul uses flesh in, in the New Testament. And just look at Galatians chapter 5 beginning around verse 19, to get an idea of Paul's concept of fleshly deeds and what he means by overcoming flesh. He's talking about those kinds of attitudes and behaviors specifically. And so he begins here uh, with uh, this this statement about uh, the law. He says that the law is spiritual, but I'm a flesh and sold into bondage. And he says earlier that the law is good, the law is good in verse 13. That which is good then bring me bring death to me. By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So Paul is saying that the, the law, and specifically, I think he has in mind the law of Moses, but this is 
the principle of God's law, whether we're talking about the law of Moses or the law of Christ, carries forward and is applicable to what Paul is saying here, that it is all that it is good because it's from a good and just and, and righteous God, uh, but it exposes me for what I am. It shows me uh, my shortcomings and holds to my face all my, my, my foibles and my flaws. And so lest anyone think that the law itself, the law of God, was the reason for man's sin and subsequent spiritual death, Paul is setting the record straight right out of the gate here. First of all, he says the law is good just as it comes, again, from a just, holy, and good God, a righteous God. So it cannot be, it cannot be the cause of sin. But rather, the law exposes sin for what it is, that is lawlessness. He says, through the commandment, verse 13, sin would be shown to be, uh, shown, shown to be sinful beyond measure or exceedingly sinful. And John says in 1 John 3, 4, that sin is lawlessness. And so that's what the law does. It, it reveals, as it reveals God's character and his, is his will and who he is, it simultaneously uh, exposes what isn't his will and what God is not. And anything that's contrary to him and his will and his nature, that is lawlessness. That's, that's sin. And so the failure and the weakness of law to bring about justification is not due to the law itself. It's due to us. It's due to the subjects of the law, right? God is good. His law is good and just and holy. The problem is, is that we, we are not. We are insubordinate. We want to do our own desires, as Paul discusses here. And we continually wrestle with that and we fail. And thus, we bring condemnation upon ourselves. And so we need we need to be forgiven. We need a sacrifice. And the only sacrifice good enough to remove our sins and bring justification to us, that is uh, righteousness or blamelessness, uh, to be without guilt before God, the only sacrifice that can bring that condition about is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to explain why it is we fail in, in, in this text. He says, I know, so he acknowledges, I know the law is spiritual. In other words, I know it's good, and I, I know it's from God, but I am, he says, a flesh. I'm sold into bondage to sin. Uh, so, the, you know, Paul recognizes this. Jewish, the Jewish prophets recognized the law as being spiritual. It wasn't just a code for civil law. It wasn't just a code for diet uh, and, you know, and, you know, strange things and familial ma matters that uh, that are peculiar to Hebrew or Jewish culture, uh, they knew that those things were pointing to something beyond um, the, the, the regulation. So there, that was spiritual, that this uh, this wasn't a law about how to live a good life here and now, in other words. No, this, it goes deeper than that. Remember the question of the rich young ruler pertained to eternal life, right? So here, here's this man who's already living well, but he wants to know the conditions necessary to attain eternal life. Not how to have a good life here and now in Luke 18. And Jesus tells him what he needs to do. He needs to go and sell all of his possessions and then come and follow him. And that's just too much to stomach. And so he he walks away. He walks away from Jesus. Um, you know, Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 12 that uh, the prophets recognized um, that they were trying to discern and seek to know the times that the spirit of Christ was uh, indicating in them. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit since uh, sent from heaven, things in which angels 
long to look. And so they knew that what they were receiving in writing in places like Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and other places, all the other prophets in the Old Testament, Samuel onward, they were, it was all pointing forward to uh, another people that, uh, that, they, that they were serving, essentially. Uh, so they knew that it was spiritual. Again, it was going beyond um, the, the here and now that they were, you know, the present time that they were in. Certainly the prophecies that uh, they received, or, or that rather that they gave to the people were applicable then, and, and the message was relevant then in a primary sense to those to those folks that they were talking about rebuilding the temple and and things like this, um, but uh, but that message is still relevant today because again it was pointing forward to it was pointing forward to the Messiah and it, and it was it was spiritual. Abraham also recognized this and we we talked about him a few weeks ago in, in Romans chapter four as the father of the faithful, as Paul calls him in, in a couple of different places. And uh, his immediate family also, who lived prior to Moses, you, you know, they came before the, the law of Moses. They knew that what God was giving them in these commands to leave uh, Haran and to leave uh, Ur of the Chaldees, that those promises of God for Canaan, it went beyond just the land itself. And it went beyond just the, the descendants. The Hebrew writer says that they desired a better country. And he says that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so the point is, is that Abraham left his home at the call of God because he knew that God was offering something greater than just a piece of earthly real estate. It was true that the land of Canaan was going to belong to Abraham's descendants and that his descendants would be numerous and that this would be the people through whom the Messiah would come. And Abraham is looking past all of that. His faith saw past his own day to the time of the Messiah, and he knew that God's promises had a greater fulfillment in spiritual realities, not of this world. And so the fact remains that we we are in this world. We have bodies of flesh. We have temporal lives. We age. We get sick. We get tired. We get hungry. Uh, this whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. And so, the, so even though we know the, the law of God, and we know that it's spiritual, and we're trying to serve it, we nevertheless end up serving our flesh. And that is to say our our fleshly appetites, unlawful fleshly appetites, are trying to fulfill them in an unlawful way instead of perfectly disciplining our bodies and bringing them into submission to serve God in righteousness. And so that's Paul's point. We, we succumb to our carnality. We understand that the law is spiritual. We understand it's from God. Even so, uh, we have our own desires, we have our own will, and we sin and we become enslaved to that sin. And this is why we fail. But this is only an explanation. It's only an explanation. It's not an excuse. right? Some people have taken what Paul is saying here, and they they take it beyond what it is, an explanation of why we fail, and they make it an excuse. Well, Paul says this is going to happen, so uh, I can't do anything about it. That's the, that's the complete opposite of what Paul is saying, actually. He's explaining, but then he goes on to give the solution. What do we do about it? You know, Paul is experiencing this struggle in himself, as all Christians do. As he said, if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law. I'm confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing but sin which dwells in me. So Paul is acknowledging his own violation of the law. And this, he says, is in, in a sense a confession that the law of God is good. And that he, that he, Paul, is sinful. 
And he says, nothing good dwells in my flesh, verse 18. And he means works of the flesh, uh, as we talked about a moment ago, that biblically there are no good fleshly works. You know, Galatians 5.19, I, I mentioned that. Let's just go ahead and turn over there now. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, just so we can see biblically the way that Paul uses flesh or fleshly works in a number of different places or fleshly deeds. He says the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5.19, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strive, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And so the list could just go on and on and on, right? Just like we talked about earlier at the beginning of our, our study. Uh, all those things contrary to the, to the will of God. Paul names several of them here, but the list could the list could go on. In other words, we we could exhaust ourselves in trying to name everything, but the fact is God has told us how to live and what we're supposed to do, and we need to not run afoul of that to the best of our ability. Paul says, I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so biblically, nothing good dwells in the flesh of these fleshly deeds. That Paul describes here, the, the but which consists of both attitudes and behaviors, right? Drunkenness is a behavior. Greed is an attitude. Uh, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, those are all attitudes in the heart. But nevertheless, they manifest themselves eventually in, in action, right? In our speech, we're nasty or we, we are ugly to other people. We mistreat other people, etc. And so Paul is saying, when we do that, those are, those are fleshly works, and we can't succumb to those. And Paul is saying that we do, even though we're willing to do good. Uh, despite him practicing the very evil he hated, he did not want to do those things. But he knew, because of his weakness, uh, the weakness of his flesh, that it was a result of sin dwelling in him. Meaning the wrong, rebellious desires that he allowed in his in his heart. Right? Mark chapter uh, 7, I believe, describes... Where it was where Jesus describes the, the attitudes of the heart. And he says, and a, a lot of those things that Jesus names in that context are uh, what Paul names in Galatians chapter 5 that we just, just read. He talks about uh, covetousness and adulteries and murders. And he says, all these things arise from within the man and out of his heart do these evil thoughts, do all evil thoughts and actions come. And so Paul is saying, I have the wrong rebellious attitude. I'm, I'm, I allow these these sinful desires in, into my heart. And so this led him to conclude, I find the principle, evil is present in me, even though I want to do good. But he says, I, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So all these observations that Paul makes about himself, that he is uh, carnal in verse 14, or that he is fleshly, uh, that he that sin dwells in him, verse 17, or he says, that is, in my flesh, in verse 18, he says, in my members, sin dwells in my members, in verse 23. All of those observations he puts together now in this, in verses 21, 23, and he identifies that as the law of sin. And what he means by that, when he says law of sin, he's not... He doesn't, he's not talking about law of Moses. He's using law in a number of different ways in this context. But he's using law in the sense of an observable rule or action. right? We, and we, we do the same thing in our own language today. We talk about uh, like Murphy's Law, right? You, you know, usually jokingly that if, 
you know, we say, well, if something can go wrong, it usually will. Right. And so we understand that that's not, a, you know, a constitutional law that it's written in, you know, a textbook uh, somewhere. But uh, but we're just talking about it's it's an observable rule in action. And so we call it a law. Right. We call it Murphy's law. And so Paul's point is, is that we all have this inclination to sin. We all have this observable rule and action within us that every accountable person who has ever lived is going to fail to keep God's law. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so we have all... All accountable people have this law of sin within them, as Paul is describing here. Even though we have the capacity to understand God's law and the capacity, the ability to keep it, as is clearly shown in Galatians 5.22, wherein Paul describes those fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. He says all of that is all that's possible and should be seen in our lives as we submit to the Holy Spirit. And it will be seen in our lives as we submit to the Holy Spirit's instructions uh, through the Word of God. Um, but nevertheless, we, we fail. And Paul says that the law of sin, right, that, that observable inclination to, to rebel, um, to come up short, Paul says that wages war against the law of our mind, the inner man, uh, our, our, our spirit, where we might joyfully agree with God's regulations. And he says, I find myself a prisoner as a result because he knows, and we should know all too well, our sin. And so what is he, what, he says, what am I to do? What, what's the answer here? His, his conscience is defiled. His flesh is weak. He knows he sins. He knows he reaps spiritual death as a result of that. And he's, you know, un, un, unpleasing to God. How will he find salvation then? And he says in verse 24, uh, Who will set me free from the body of this death? He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the answer. Forgiveness through Christ is the only way to be saved from eternal death. It's the only way to stand justified before God. No amount of good deeds or good works will ever earn us a spot in heaven. Because even if we get it right from this day forward and do everything right from this day forward, we we still have sin in our past and, and no amount of good works does anything to the fact or to the guilt of sin. The only thing that can remove sin is the sacrifice of Christ, which we can take advantage of through our obedience to Him. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 5.9 that he has become the source of salvation to all those who obey him. And so the context of Romans chapter 7 shows that one struggle against sin continues even after being forgiven through baptism and being renewed by the Holy Spirit. All, all people are at the Lord's mercy and must seek him for forgiveness. The only difference between really the, the, the Christian and the non-Christian is what's required to obtain that forgiveness, right? In Acts chapter 8, we find that prayer um, for forgiveness and repentance is what the Christian must do to obtain forgiveness, as well as 1 John 1, 
verses 6 and following. And then we find in Acts 2.38 what the non-Christian must do. All those people who were listening to Peter preach about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on their behalf and how they had crucified him. And when they said, what, what do we do? Jesus said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly what Saul of Tarsus was told to do by Ananias in Damascus. Of course, Jesus had already appeared to Paul on the road, or Saul on the road to Damascus, and he was struck blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything for three days. So in both cases, in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 9, we, we find people who believe, who believe Jesus is the Son of God, who believe that they are guilty before God, who know that they are powerless to justify themselves. And so they just, all they can do is say, what, what do I do? What is, is there anything I can do? And the only thing you can do is throw yourself at the feet of God and ask for his mercy. And he says, the way you do that is through submitting to my son and his teaching. And if you do that, you find forgiveness. Obedience to the gospel does not nullify grace. Obedience and grace are not enemies Simply because I throw myself at the feet of the Master does not make His salvation any less a gift. It is the gift of God. Absolutely. And all people are at the Lord's mercy and must seek Him for forgiveness. Christians stumble in sin, and this fact neither condones nor excuses sin. But it should humble us and bring us to be honest with ourselves about our own sin, as John describes in 1 John 1, beginning in verse 8, I alluded to that text just a moment ago. I want to read it now because it's such a powerful reminder. John says in 1 John 1, verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, remember he's talking to Christians. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. So Paul has answered four questions in these last two chapters and through chapter 6 and 7. And the first question he started out with at the beginning of chapter 6 and verse 1 was, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, Shall we continue in sin since we're under grace and not under law? And then he says, Is the law sin in chapter 7? And then finally, Is that which is good, meaning the law, to the law become the cause of death for me? And the answer to each of those questions is no, every time. No, we can't continue in sin, expecting grace to abound. No, we can't continue in sin simply because we're under grace and not under the law of Moses. And no, the law is not sinful. And no, the law is not the reason that we sin and indict ourselves before God. And each time we see him answer those questions, no, he goes on to show how the grace of God is calling us to a greater commitment to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. To use his words from Titus 2.12, that the grace of God instructs us, well, instructs us to live a certain way, right? Namely, those things I just mentioned. So God's grace is truly amazing. It's empowering. It's not only saving. It's not only the thing which, which brings us back into fellowship with him, and removes our sins because of the blood of his son. But it's 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 empowering also. It's powerful enough to save a wretch like me 
and powerful enough to motivate me and inspire me and instruct me to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And yes, I will fail and I continue to fail. But the point is, is that you don't ever stop striving. Don't you don't start making excuses for yourself or don't tell yourself that it's just the way it is. Because God is calling us, God is calling us to do better. And he says, I'll help you get there. The way that Paul worded that to the, the brethren in Philippi was that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Jesus prayed for us in John 17 that we would be sanctified in truth. And Jesus said, your word is truth. You see, it brings us the message of salvation. It reveals Jesus Christ to us. But it's also the, the very thing that keeps setting us apart, only insofar as we continue to submit to his will. So the question is, have you done that? And if you set out to initially, have you continued to do so? You know, the good, the good and honest heart, if we're going to be honest with ourselves about what Romans chapter 7 and what the scripture is saying to us about our, our condition before God, if we're going to be honest with ourselves about that, that's good. And that same good and honest heart that is needed to respond to the gospel in the first place and obey him and put Jesus on in baptism is the same good and honest heart that we need to continue obeying him to continue to look to him for our salvation. As Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who will save a wretch like me. So have you been to him? Have you come to him? I should say, and, and sought forgiveness through him. Let me know if you want to study these things further. Contact me via leonvalleychurch.org or leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.